There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. God, we thank you for this morning, and, and God, we're just so thankful that whether we're ridiculously stacking bears or, God, opening up your word, that when we gather in your name, that you're here. So, Father, I just pray right now as we open up your word that we would experience you through your word, by your spirit, and God, we wouldn't leave this room the same. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So, again, where we left off in chapter 45 last week is in verse 14. It said, then he, speaking of Joseph, fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. And again, what we saw here is is after his brothers, again, who threw him in a pit, debating whether to kill him, then sold him into slavery. After all that that's happened is that here when he sees all of his brothers before, that the love that you see Joseph showering on his brothers, it's not just to Benjamin. It's, it's almost like you see he grabs Benjamin and he's just so happy. I mean, this is the, the, the brother from the same mom and he's weeping on him. And it's almost like the other brothers are standing afar off in fear. And it's like he just starts grabbing them and pulling them all in. And he's just hugging on brothers and just loving on them. And this is just, again, a great reminder for us that God pours out his love not only on those who accept him and call him family, but God pours out his love on all, even those who would reject him. And again, what we saw last week is to be reminded and know that God loves you, has a plan for you, and that even though you may reject him, he is calling you not to be afraid, but to draw near. And that's where we pick up in Genesis 45, 16. It says, now the report of it, again, Joseph yelling out loud, was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land. Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Guys, try and wrap your head around. They're in the middle of a seven-year famine that's so devastating that people are losing all that they have. They're, They're losing their financial wealth. Just everything that they've been having in savings is getting obliterated. And here it is because of Joseph's consistent focus on God and faithfulness to God, that those who had previously hurt him, rejected him, are now being blessed by him. And so this is, again, for us, is to be remembered that we should live our lives in such a way that those around us, whether they believe what we believe, whether they accept us, that those around us are blessed 
by our presence, by our faithfulness to God, that it almost should be this splash effect, that as God's pouring out his blessings on you through your obedience, that it should have a splash effect to everyone around you. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 21 says, Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh. He gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, charges of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five charges of garments. Again, Benjamin being treated as royalty. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. The word troubled here is actually the same word that could be, don't, don't get angry or quarrel. When he says trouble, he's, he's basically saying, okay, God has blessed me and I am blessing you, my family. Go get dad. But brothers, when you take off, don't, don't get quarrelsome. Don't, don't start fighting amongst each other. Again, Joseph knew the tendencies of his brothers. And he knew that God had done an amazing work in their lives, as we see by really the evidence of even someone like Judah. But Joseph here is, is warning them, don't go back to the old ways. You guys have gone through some hardship and, and God has been doing a refining process. And now that the blessings are flowing, it could be very easy in the time of blessing to revert back to an old nature. And he's saying, don't return back to that. Like so many times we can go on sometimes, you know, mission trips or you can go to camps or you can have these, these different spiritual high mountaintop experiences. And, and maybe, you know, you're just, you're just excited and you can't wait to be. And yet when things start to go back to normal, when we find ourselves just basking in the blessings of what God has done for us, we can revert back to our old ways and to that old nature. And that's what Joseph is warning against here. You guys have gone through the trial. The blessings are flowing. Don't get quarrelsome. Don't go back to that old way. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 21 through 32 says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth, that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your formal way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along, every, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Now in verse 25 it says, And they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. 
And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Again, remember, these are the guys who showed up with Joseph's bloody coat and said, hey, dad, do you, do you know whose coat this belongs to? Again, in their anger, wanting to see their dad hurt and his heart breaking, knowing from what he saw, what the evidence seemed to be, that his son Joseph had been torn to pieces by an animal. He's been living for years. We're, we're probably almost 20 years with the thought that his son was mauled by an animal and killed. And now they come back out of Egypt after this trial, Simeon was in prison. Now they're showing up and as they're showing up, there's these carts and animals and Jacob's going, what is going on? And go, dad, Jacob's alive and he's governed alive. How, how, does, how does this even happen? And then imagine just kind of Benjamin shuffling up and going, oh, remember how they told you that like, he got killed? Well, actually what happened is they threw him in a pit, to, you know, decided if they're going to kill him or not. Then Judah over here actually sold him into slavery. And so, yeah, he's been in, down in Egypt this whole time. And just trying to process this, it, it's just, again, this is a guy who was just saying everything's against me. And, and now he's presented with this new information that's just, it's almost impossible to take in. In fact, it says there in verse 27, but when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. This is similar to how when we go and share what seemingly this impossible news of Jesus Christ, of how he loves them and died for your sins. And again, this can be something impossible to understand. How, how can I expect this to be true? What do you mean? I thought he was dead, but he's alive? And now my sins are forgiven? In the same way, Jacob's taking in this information. Wait a second, Joseph was supposedly dead, now he's alive? But what was it? It wasn't even just the words. The only way that they would know is the fact that they told him. But then as he steps back and hears the words of what they're saying to be true, and he looks at the evident of the blessing, then he goes, okay, I hear your words, and I see the evident of the blessing of God's favor. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How they can believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says to us, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So just as these brothers are saying to their dad, hey, I know we lied to you. I know there's no reason for you to trust us, but Jacob's actually not dead. In fact, he's ruling Egypt. He's the guy who we've been talking to. And as Jacob's going, I can't believe this, and then steps back and he sees the evidence of the blessing there. He goes, what? Well, I, I may not understand all the words, I may not, but I can clearly see the truth of what you're telling me. This is the same for us. We go about and we tell people that Christ has made us new, that he's forgiven our sins and, in fact, so forgiven us that we have these, this blessed life. And what Jesus is telling us that that should be something evident in our life, that as we get together, not just on Sundays, but when you're out in your life, how you treat one another as supposed brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is saying the world should look at that and go, I may not understand all the words, but I see the evidence. That's what Jesus means when he says, by how you love one another, that's how they'll know that you follow me. 
They won't know unless we tell them, but after they, we've told them, they need to see the evidence of that in our life. Now into chapter 46, it says, So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now again, this is the same place where Abraham lived and he planted a tree. Isaac went there and he built an altar. And now we come to that same place and it says, Then God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God the God of your father, do not fear to go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also surely bring you up again. And so Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. So again, Jacob is struggling here. And honestly, when, when, when I was first going through this, it, it almost was even kind of a struggle for me because there's kind of a confusion here because we saw what happened when Abraham went down to Egypt and we see the mess that that made. And we saw how Isaac, how even when he, he didn't quite go into Egypt, but he, he went to the line and we saw all the, the mess there with his daughter being raped and just, just the, the mess of that. And so you almost see Jacob here going, okay, I know about when Abraham went down, lied and the mess that caused. And, and my dad, he, he flirted that line and then we saw what happened with our sister. And now here he is being told I'm supposed to go to Egypt and he's struggling here. And so yet here we see that Isaac, though he, again, didn't go into Egypt and Abraham did, there's almost this confusion. Wait, is, is God contradicting himself here? He's telling Jacob to go into this land of Egypt. And you can almost find yourself, again, is Egypt so often in scripture is this, this picture of bondage and sin. And you go, so wait, is this a moment where God is contradicting himself? And the answer simply is no. Because again, let's, let's revisit those moments with Abraham what happened when Abraham went to Isaac or went into Egypt? He didn't trust God and he lied about his sister not being or said that his wife was his sister. Again, a half truth, a complete lie. So was the issue going into Egypt? No, the issue wasn't going into Egypt. It was when he was in Egypt. What did Abraham do? He didn't trust God that when he was in a land that God had called him to and hard times came, he didn't trust God and he went to Egypt. So it was not trusting in God. God never said anything about Egypt. And then again, with Isaac, Isaac, again, was told not to go to Egypt. And though he, he again, he obeyed and not going there, what was clearly told is that he was told, hey, you're not supposed to mix with the people of this land. And so Isaac was told, hey, don't, don't go back. Your dad made a mistake there. I don't want you going into Egypt. But again, God had also told Isaac and his family uh, that he didn't say no one from your family could go. So Abraham goes down, lack of faith. God tells Isaac, Isaac, I don't want you going to Egypt. But God never puts out this decree and says, and I don't want any of your family members. He just told Isaac, you don't go there. So again, when we look at these two men's issues with Egypt, it was about faith and obedience. But again, it would make sense why we might miss and think that going to Egypt was a sin or bad, because so did Jacob. And this leads to a very important issue that, that can get money really quick. And that's whenever we try to add to the Bible, to God's word. And that's what it means to be legalistic. When you try and add to God's word, you're being legalistic. For again, Abraham and Isaac, Egypt was a place where Abraham wasn't trusting in God. And Egypt for, uh, or for Abraham, for, 
Isaac, it was that boundary, but again, it, it was about being told not to go there, and then he ended up doing what? He ended up mixing, the family started mixing with the land of Canaan. So again, what did God's word actually say? It didn't say nobody from your family can go. He, he said nothing to Abraham. Abraham didn't trust God, and he went down into Egypt. Then he tells Isaac, Isaac, I don't want you going down there, but by the way, while you are not supposed to go down there, don't mix with the land of Canaan. But he family ends up doing that anyway. And so again, the, the issue here, as we look at it, I know it can seem kind of muddy, is we can add on and go, so Egypt is bad. That's what Jacob's thinking. So anyone going through, okay, so, so going to Egypt is bad. No, not trusting God as Abraham did is bad. And for Isaac, though he did listen, he ended up not obeying and allowing his family to mix with the land. And for Isaac, it was an issue of being obedient. So again, the issue was trust and obedience. It wasn't the going to Egypt. And we can add on to God's word by just making this blanketed, so Egypt bad. That's not what God's word says. Now again, then you have the, the opposite side. You have this other muddy issue that's called liberalism. And that's again, where you don't take God at his word. Again, what did God say to Isaac's family? He didn't say, Isaac, none of your family can go to Egypt. He said, I don't want your family mixing with the people of this land. And so where you have, again, this issue where you could be legalistic, Egypt bad, you could have the other side of that same coin, which both of it comes down to, do you know God's word? One adds to it and tries to make something that God didn't declare bad, bad, and the other doesn't take God at his word when he said, don't mix with the land. And again, so we see that really this whole issue of liberalism and legalism, two sides of the same coin, it stems from not looking at and holding to or even knowing God's word. What has God's word told us to do? That he would never contradict himself or against his own word. So again, Numbers tells us God is not human that he shouldn't lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So again, whereby legalism, we would make Jacob and his family going to Egypt a sin. Liberalism was when we would look at Judah, and when Judah went off and decided to marry this Canaanite woman and have, have the three sons, that would be the liberalism side. So for Abraham, the legalism says, oh, well, because Abraham messed up in Egypt, Egypt bad. That's not what God said. For Isaac, he says, Isaac, I don't want you going down there, but also while you're not down there, don't mix with the land. And we have the liberalism side where then Judah didn't take God at his word and ended up marrying the Canaanite woman. And again, we know the whole mess that happened there. So again, on one side, it's not okay for us to add to God's word and set boundaries that's not stated in God's word. We also can't just ignore clear direction. Some people then fly to the other side. And again, I know this can be kind of a, a muddy, hard thing, but this is, as we look at this moment, don't set boundaries that God's word hasn't set. And at the other side, clear boundaries that God has set, we're not supposed to just ignore. And again, I, I know I'm taking some time here, but that's because this stuff can be stressful or confusing. And it's because humans, with our, with our fleshly nature and desires, we muddy this issue all the time. And so you could find yourself afraid. Well, then what, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I? First, it starts with knowing God's word. But if anyone here would be afraid, well, I don't, I don't want to mess up. What, what if I'm being too legalistic or too liberal in these areas? I want you guys to get in. And why I want to take this time and how this is, is how did God address Jacob's issue where he was afraid of messing up because he'd become legalistic 
though his family had become very liberal, is how did God deal with it? It's he started off by telling Jacob, Jacob, look at me. Know who I am. That God revealed himself. And so what did he say to him? He said, Jacob, I'm in, I am the I am. I am your God, and I'm going to be with you. So there's no reason for us as we look at this issue to get afraid of, well, what if I mess up on this side? God goes, God goes don't, don't get caught up on trying to figure out the truth. He goes, focus on me. And God says, if you have that relationship with him, that he will walk with you, he will be there with you, and let him be the one who guides you by his word. And it all starts off with knowing him as he says he is, the I am. Now in verse 5 it says, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives and carts, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So again, Jacob was afraid. He prayed to God, and then he fully obeyed. And what did he do? He took his family with him. Again, every single one of you at some point have this amazing opportunity to be leaders in your family, maybe someday as heads of your own house at God, but even right here, right now, that if God has called you to do something, that you might be afraid. I don't know if, I, God, God, am I following you? Am I doing what's right? And God says, okay, let's start with the first place. Know who he is. Know who he is. Trust him. And then when he says, when I tell you to go, be fully obedient. And it will bring your family along with it. Now we go to verse 8. Now we're going to make a quick jump um, from verses 8 all the way down to 27 because you get this huge list of the names. Verse 8 says, now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. And then it goes through the 12 sons that are going to become the 12 tribes. So you jump all the way down to verse 27. It says, and the sons of Joseph, Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So 70 people heading down from Canaan now into Egypt. Now there's, a, obviously you say these are all the people, but you guys, when you go through the list, you'll see that like Joseph and his, his family gets pulled into that same list. When we get to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37, just as a, a quick little note taker, those, that count of 70 is going to become 600,000 able-bodied men. That's about 2.4 million people by the time we get to Exodus, which is in just a couple weeks when we see and we get to the Exodus. So 70 are going down into Egypt, and by the time we get to Exodus and see them get ready to leave, you're going to have 600,000 able-bodied men, again, about 2.4 million people. That's how they're going to go from this, just this family to this nation. Verse 28 says, Then he set Judah before him to Joseph to point out before the way to Goshen. Now again, this is just interesting. This is Judah. And I know I keep bringing this up, and, and we, don't wanna, we don't necessarily want to like hold his past against him, but more of just don't try and shy away from it, but just see the amazing work that God does. This is Judah, the sell his brother into slavery guy, the marry a Canaanite woman like God told him not to do, creating the whole mess, sleeping with his daughter-in-law because he thought she was a prostitute. That guy. Now that guy has become the guy who did what? He stood before his father after going through that whole experience where God convicted him with Tamar, realizing that she had more faith in God's plans than he did. And that affected his life so much that he became a man that when he saw his dad's heart breaking, he didn't put it on his son. Judah said, Dad, let, let this responsibility be on my shoulders. 
And when he stood before Joseph, not knowing that it was his brother, and Benjamin was by all evidence guilty, it was Judah who stepped up and said, take my life. He may be guilty, but take my life. That has been the transformative work that God has done through the convicting of his spirit to show him, yeah, you messed up, but this is what God can do. And now we see somebody who is willing to lay down his life for his family that God has now put into a place of being the lead of the family. Whereas Judah, who's being the one who's saying, where Jacob says, okay, you take us on down to Egypt. Again, this is the same Judah by whose family Jesus will be born from. Jesus who gave his life for all of us so that we could live with him forever. It says, and they came down to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Again, what a radical change from everything is against me to just him saying, I can, I can go now. He's holding on to Joseph, just bawling on him. I can't help but see it. I mean, it, it, I know this might be hard to imagine, but uh, my dad is, is a couple inches taller than me, quite better build and shape. He's a parole officer, so big guy. I've, I've maybe seen my dad cry a handful times in my life. Not because he's overly macho, it's just not something that I've seen. But I can tell you, I've had a few moments in my life with those five where it's been like this, this blubbering bawling where, where my dad's just, it just breaks free. And so when I read passages like this, you just see Jacob here, big old dad, and he's just grabbing onto a son and he's just bawling. He thought his son was dead and now he is holding him in his hands, just, just letting it out. And what's a little funny here is, and we're going to see in a little bit, that here, here's Jacob who kept saying, Oh, I'm going to die. Everything's against me. Then he sees his son. Oh, I'm so happy I could die. Yeah, he, he's going to live for quite a bit longer in Egypt. This guy keeps pronouncing like death on himself. He's got like another 17 years to go before he passes. Then Joseph said to his brothers in his father's household, I will go up, to, uh, go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation have been with the livestock from our youth till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. This is, again, this is that, that crazy racism that we see in these Egyptians. They believe themselves to be these descendants from their gods. And so with this pride, they, they, they saw themselves as this elevated class and they looked down on these lowly shepherds so much that they were an abomination to them. Again, we saw that this was so extreme that even though Joseph was number two over Pharaoh, they still thought themselves so high above in their culture and their race that they wouldn't even sit at the table and eat with Joseph. Now again, I bring this up simply to, to in no way is this okay. In no way does God justify, condone, or approve racism in any way. What I would want you to see in this moment 
and what is consistent with our God and should remind any of us that what God is in the business of doing is taking horrible, disgusting messes like me and by his transformative work, using them for his glory. And the reason it's so interesting is what had the family of Israel started to do? They had started, like Judah, mixing with the land of Canaan and God is going, I have judgment on that. I don't want you mixing with that. So what does God do? He pulls them to a land where the people won't even eat dinner with them. Is that God says, no, I have a plan for you to use you and to do something unique and distinct. And it does not condone the horrible behaviors and attitudes of the Egyptians. But God going, but I will use all things for my glory, including I will use people's evil motivations to bring about my will, my plan, and to protect the line that my Savior is going to come through. So again, God deals with, again, God's, or with Jacob's fear rooted in a, a very legalistic way by revealing to him Joseph. All that fear of what Egypt was, and it's in Egypt that he sees his son face to face and has this amazing moment. Now we're going to fly through, uh, we've got a, a few minutes as we close out, we're going to kind of fly through uh, chapter 47 here. So what ends up happening in chapter 47 is that uh, Joseph had been told by Pharaoh, hey, go and send for your family, bring them here, and I'm going to give them the, the, the best land. And so we see in verse 5, it says, Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph of chapter 47, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. So, so Joseph is saying, or Pharaoh says something very interesting here. Again, there's this, this, this distinction, the abomination of the Egypt. But then Pharaoh, keeping to his word, says, hey, now that your family's here, and you guys are telling me you guys are these awesome shepherds, and I, I can see all that you brought. You guys are in the land of Goshen. He's like, in fact, since you guys are clearly so skilled, pick some of your brothers and actually make them shepherds over my own livestock. So, sh- so Pharaoh is seeing what they are, and in fact goes, hey, I want them to work for me. It says, then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Don't Don't pass over this. I know we're moving through quick. But again, this is Pharaoh. He believes himself to be the very incarnation of the God of Ra, that he is deity. And what does God do in his consistent nature? Here's this Egyptian, these abominable shepherds. And God brings in this old shepherd, Jacob. And what does Jacob start doing? He starts praying and blessing Pharaoh. He starts pronouncing blessings on him. Again, this is God. He, he, he takes an old shepherd and elevates him over this ruler of the most powerful kingdom on the earth right now. Again, consistent with his nature. In James chapter 4, verse 6, where it said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And look at verse 8. I love this. So here comes Pharaoh, or here comes Jacob, pronouncing these blessings, and Pharaoh's response to him is, how old are you? So Jacob comes in, and, and I can't help it. We can read it that way. It's, I just always thought it was funny that he asked that question, but he's actually not being disrespectful here. Is this is, again, is that it, we can see it kind of funny is that Pharaoh's taken back, right? He's blessing him. I'm going to give you guys some work. Here comes in Jacob's shepherd, and he's expecting him to bow before him, and he actually just starts blessing him. 
And it so puts Pharaoh kind of in this place. Well, how old are you? Understanding that, you know what, there's a respect here. And he's, he's giving actually Jacob recognition of, of just with this age comes great respect and wisdom for this man to step in and to pronounce this blessing on him. He's actually not being disrespectful. He's actually saying, wow, I, I'm acknowledging that there is someone who is wise and someone to be respected. In fact, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31 says, the silver hair head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. Let's make sure we put those together. Respect your elders, yes, but notice what it says, if it is found in the way of righteousness. It doesn't mean that we just, oh, every old person is someone that we should, it's saying very clearly, yeah, for those who have walked with God, those are people that you guys should be wanting to hear from. These people who have walked with God, gone through these trials, had their ups and downs and gone, how did you do it? What was that like to walk with God for this amount of time? You have amazing people in the building right next door who have been walking with God for years and years. These are people that we shouldn't be, eh, old people, shouldn't, Pharaoh, how old are you? But instead should respect them and, and, and go, I want to know how you did it because I'm walking this life too and it's not easy. What was it like for you when you went through this, trusting in God? It says, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my uh, pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And I just love how Jacob is referring to his life. His life on this earth to him, he says, it's a pilgrimage. See, he understands that this, this earth isn't his home. This is not his, his end destination, that his home is, is a place that God has made. In fact, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, it says in verses 8 through 10, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to the place in which he would receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promises as in the foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has the foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This life is temporary. It is a pilgrimage, or as the Old Testament so often would put it, a sojourn. And so as we see then through the rest of this chapter is that, again, the famine starts to hit hard. By the time you get to verse 15, it says, so when the money failed in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. They put their money in their savings, gone. They put, the, or they, they put their faith in their savings, and that's been obliterated. In food, it's been completely obliterated. So the people have run out of money. They've ran out of food, and they come to Jacob, or to Joseph trying to figure out, and they're saying, we have no food, we have no money, and nothing but our homes and our bodies. What will you do with those? And something interesting happens here is that Joseph comes up with this idea, and what he basically says to him is like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take possession, or the land of Egypt is going to take possession of your land, of your home. But here's what you're going to do, is you're going to stay in your home, I'm going to give you seed to grow, and then that way you can feed yourself off of the crops, and then I'm going to take a 20% tax of that. So again, you could read through that section and be like, well, this is messed up. Basically, Joseph is putting them in slavery. What he actually did is he gave them jobs. He says, this is what we're going to do is 
I'm going to own your, you have no money. All you have is your home. Okay, we're going to take the land as payment. And as that payment, here's what you just paid for. I'm going to supply you with all the grain and seed that you need to grow your food. And when you grow your food, I'm going to take 20% of that, and then that will be how you basically make your payments and how the, the land will make sure that we continue to go. What's interesting about this is if you go through history is that before the 18th Egyptian dynasty, there's records of independent land ownership. But after that, that's when we see around this time of where Joseph came up with this land buying plan is that all of that was gone. And so as we finish out, again, as you finish out the chapter, verse 31, Jacob says, then he said, swear to me, saying to his, his son. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of his bed. And again, as we end the chapter, just a reminder that our time on this planet is short. That though we can put our trust in things like our savings, no more than a time like this when we see that stuff can all be wiped out. So the, again, this is a moment for us as we, we've looked through this, is to, as you, you might find yourself in questions, what do I do, where do I go? It starts with one, do you know God's word? And God's word always constantly pointing back to know Christ, who never changes. And it says, you know what? He is in the business of taking the biggest messes and making them something magnificent. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. And Father, I just pray right now that again, if there's anyone here who's uh, afraid God, who, who doesn't know what to do with their life and is just concerned where to go next, that, God, we can look to you and that's what you call us to, to not be afraid, but to draw near and to know your word. So, Father, again, thank you for who you are and all that you've done. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in the weight of glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.